0: Hey, NoosaCast listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Please help us grow by subscribing or sharing the NoosaCast with friends, or follow us on Facebook, X, TikTok, or Instagram.
1: Now let's get the show on the road. What is smack talk like at the D1 level? It's intense. You know, you had guys that would just go at you. You know, I got teed up a couple times. Guy was never going to get punked, and I was never going to let somebody, like, be more physical than I was. I wasn't the most athletic person in the world, so I had to talk a little bit. I had to show people, like, I wasn't going to back down, right?
0: Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. Hey, NoosaCast listeners, welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast in Northeast Wisconsin. That is the NoosaCast. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in for another episode. Uh, we, you know, we have a, a lot going on. Um, we're getting close to the holidays, and uh, we have a. I think it's going to be a great interview. I think you're going to like uh, the interview with uh, Little Shoots' own Turner Botts, who uh, went on to play at UWGB, uh, also um, is the basketball coach at Appleton East for the boys, and uh, Appleton police officer. So it's going to be a good episode. You guys are going to enjoy it and have a lot of fun there. But um, we got the holidays coming up. We got all kinds of things. What's new in your world, Joe?
2: Well, one i'm, I'm yeah I'm looking forward to turner i mean it's it's exciting here high school basketball you know we right. just came out of football and volleyball and let's move into basketball and and there's some great teams in this area tosh that Absolutely. just like football I mean, you know we remember how we always said if you see those lights on on friday nights stop in same can be said for these gyms around here man there, there's some great basketball and, and uh we got a great conversation with, with turner i mean not only a young basketball coach which is really cool right. to see but you know he does more than just coach basketball and and, and influence kids he's you know a a police officer a, a d1 basketball player so we, we're going to learn a lot for sure
0: yeah it should be should be it's, it is it's a great interview and uh you guys are really going to enjoy it uh you know we we talked with uh, ryan borowitz about basketball uh, earlier in in the episodes of this podcast, and now we're going to take a little closer look at high school and uh, coaching high school and growing up and uh, in the Fox Valley here. And it's it's going to be it's going to be great. But you know, speaking of the Fox Valley, Joe, um, you know, like you said, we have some really good basketball teams. Always are in contention, and it's a it's a tough conference. Um, both boys and girls have uh, made runs at state and in the area. Um. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to venture into the basketball world and see what's happening.
2: No, I, absolutely. I'm going to check out some high school basketball for sure. And you know, I wanted to, to to send out one shout out. I actually had a laugh this week. So every everybody knows on hopefully everybody knows on Sunday, we have on our on our Cast YouTube channel we have the Redsmith Smith banquet throwback. And this week we had Lee Remmel and. I had forgotten. I mean, anybody that's a Packer fan that that's probably over the age of, I don't know, 35, maybe, remembers Lee Remmel. And I forgot that Lee's voice is just classic. It makes me want to have dirty sauce. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, it, 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 they used to be a sponsor of this Packer thing. Lee Remmel would be on okay. it. It's, I'm dating myself, but it's it, <laughs> it's really good with turkey during the holiday season. Trust me, turkey sauce. But anyway, Larry McCarron introduces lee remmel uh, at the banquet and holy cow larry was young back then like <laughs> young and it was kind of shocking to see so we, we we definitely all age but uh if you haven't checked out those throwbacks take a look at our youtube channel for sure they're they're, they're really they're cool they're, they bring you back to the red smith banquet and we've had some great people come through appleton and, and at that banquet and like Tosh says, go back to and check out some of our past podcasts. I mean, Borowitz was awesome. Yeah. You know, we're right in the heart of basketball, college basketballs and in, in full swing. Um, you know, UWGB right. is they're they're kind of exciting, Tosh, low key. I mean, they're, they're at yeah. least interesting. Um, the radar goes up a little bit. Their coach is, is a character that that's Sundance <laughs> yeah. is his name. You got to love that. And uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. So basketball's in full swing tash and, and christmas is right around the corner and yeah let's go right good time of year
0: yeah you know what speaking of christmas and speaking of the holidays uh, i want to shout out um the fox city's festival of lights which is right down the street um, in the darboy community park nice haven't got a chance to come and see that this is uh, oh. i want to say it's their third or fourth year um, and they do a fantastic job. You can donate, you walk through it. Um, they have a huge display of lights out here in uh, the Darboy area at the Darboy Community Park, and they keep growing and getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and they, they do an excellent job. I know um, it's every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. And um, they have this week, next week, and I think the uh, weekend of New Year's. And then they shut it down. So they pretty much go from Thanksgiving through uh the new year's weekend and it's it's local they're you know they're it's it's cool they they do a lot donate money to the community uh through whatever donations come in uh so go and check that out uh friday saturday or sunday nights i think it starts at like five o'clock six o'clock and goes until like nine so
2: i like it how's the traffic in the neighborhood
0: uh, it depends if Santa's there or not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose. Well, he's got to be getting busy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Grinch was there the other night. so
2: Yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> uh,
0: Friday nights seem to be busier than Saturdays. I don't know why. People just get out on Friday night after work and bring the kids. And, um, yeah, so Friday nights seem to be pretty typically one of the busier nights. And sometimes the, uh, the cars do extend all the way down to our house which is great for them because that means there's a lot of foot traffic coming through the park.
2: I love it. Well, Merry Christmas, right, Tash?
0: Um, Yeah, happy holidays. Keep following us and and keep us in your thoughts. And when you're sitting down in between the family meals at Christmas, uh, check out the podcast. All right, Newscast listeners, it's time when we take a look back at things that have happened here in Northeast Wisconsin, uh, maybe Wisconsin period, maybe even the nation or world. Uh, So this is our old look at new. So Joe, what do you got for this week? look at the old look at
2: new well tash you know like like you and i talk about a lot here this is actually we need to prepare for these segments uh, It's it's not as easy as i once thought to just rip off facts or find something interesting about northeastern wisconsin so happened to stumble across this one in my uh expansive research but what i stumbled across was So everybody knows I work for the post office, so everybody knows where the post office is. But if you didn't know, that piece of land actually sits on a former ravine. It's actually filled in. So in 1963, I stumbled across a Post Crescent article. And in 1963, just about this time of year, the city of Appleton approved the annex to extend Franklin Street from the railroad tracks to state street that one block stretch right where the post office is that wasn't a street until 19 Well, they uh, voted it in in 1963 so i'm sure it was a couple of years after that but that was built then but interestingly enough in this fast research that i did there's an aerial photo and where the post office is into the park behind basically division street. There's a row of houses, everything behind division street. That's just vacant. That's just filled in land. Um, it's, it's, it's snow in this photo. So I thought that was interesting (laughs) 1963 and I happened to work there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to put this in an old look at new. So Tash, how about you? What's uh, What's your old look at new?
0: Well, I'm going back to, uh, December 19th, 1920. Um, we're going to go all the way to, Brockline, Massachusetts And in Brockline, Massachusetts December 19th, 1920 The first indoor curling rink Opened up Yeah, nice And we talk about curling We had the uh, Armstrongs on So uh, I thought that would be A fitting uh, old look at new Um, So that's kind of cool But I also had one more And this is really appropriate Because um, there was a 30 30 by 30 ESPN That came out this week on the minister of defense reggie oh, white yeah. he was born december 19th 1961 so i haven't seen the episode yet i've been meaning to to uh, sit back and watch that watch that uh, little documentary on reggie white but yeah you know all-time great football player all-time great packer she turned the franchise around really when he came and uh, december 19th 1961 would have been his birthday
2: I mean, Brett Favre, Reggie White, my two favorite Packers ever. I I can (laughs) Reggie's move with the club move, where he could just ragdoll offensive linemen (laughs) uh, and throw them in the air with one arm is is the most incredible football move still that I've ever seen. Just nuts. I mean, let's let's face Mm -hmm. it, the Packers sucked ass in the seventies and eighties, right? I mean, they're terrible. And Ron Wolf, you know, come Bob Harlan hires Ron Wolf. You get, you know, Mike Holmgren. Somehow you get Favre, but you don't know that it's really Favre. You kind of start getting inklings of Favre. In fact, I always remember Reggie White saying that when the Packers played the Eagles, I can't remember what year it would have been, early 90s, Favre had a great game, and Reggie took notice and wanted to play with Favre. That was one of the reasons he came to Green Bay. But to come here and then to see that and yeah. go on and win you know unfortunately one super bowl i guess i'm glad they did they did that right but
0: yeah absolutely come
2: on now you got to win more than one super bowl of that team but hey <laughs> it's neither hey. here nor there
0: yeah definitely he turned the franchise around he came um great football player uh, great guy uh for the community as well yeah so yeah december 19th 1961 good old reggie white oh, I, minister of the i love it
2: tash great one Well, Tosh, I like this one. Young coach, Appleton East coach, played Division I basketball at UWGB, Little Shoot star. Turner Botts, young kid, 28 years old, Tosh. We had a great conversation with Turner.
0: Yeah, he's he's an excellent guy. Um, Not only is he the basketball coach at Appleton East, he's also an SRO, so he's our school resource officer uh, working with the Appleton Police Department. Um, Excellent guy, does excellent things with kids. And not only in coaching level, but also in the high school level. And he's great story, excellent story. Um, talking about the influence of his parents, talking about the influence uh, influences he's had throughout his career, um, and also uh, you know just talking about the intensity of sports and and how he how he handles that.
2: No, absolutely. We we get into it all. I mean, here's a kid went to little shoot was recruited to play division one basketball. It's what, you know, us parents, we dream about our kids doing that and it doesn't really happen all that often. And and Turner did that. And now he's in turn coaching kids that, that, that hope to play basketball sometime. So it was a really cool interview. We, we really enjoyed it. Tosh. He's a really engaging guy. Uh, we, we learned a lot. We talked about a lot, a little bit of life philosophies and life lessons. So we always enjoy this Tosh. And, and I think, um, I think our listeners will enjoy it as well. So Turner Botts, the current Appleton East head basketball coach,
0: we're just gonna kind of start off with maybe talking about growing up in the Fox Valley, and Um,
1: yeah, for sure. You know, so for me, I started off at Little Shoot. A lot of people don't know. You know, prior to getting into Little Shoot, I was actually in Kimberly. Um, What What brought my family into Little Shoot, though, was my dad. He was high school principal in Little Shoot. I think he started in yep. Ninety-two, I think it was. Okay. Um, so my family, I, I guess, it originally started in Albany. My dad was uh, coaching and teaching there. Uh, he got it, got the high school uh, principal job in Little Shoot. That moved us up uh, into Darboy. Um, so I lived in Darboy uh, up until seventh grade, uh, when my dad got the superintendent job. Um, when he had gotten that job, that forced us to have to move into the the village, of Little Shoot. Um, that were sure. one of the stipulations of, of the job. So. We packed up from Darboy, went over to Little Shoot, um, and that's when I started at the middle school there. Um, and that w- that was great, right? Like everything about Little Shoot's awesome. I, I was really happy, um, you know, doing that. You know, growing up with my dad being a- the high school principal there, you know, I had always told him, you know, hey, I, I want to go to Little Shoot. I want to be a part of Little Shoot. You know, I grew up going to the Little Shoot football games, um, you know, basketball <laughs> games, all those things. Um, you know, being a water boy for the football team, all those like really fun things I remember being young. Um, even living in Kimberley and Darbo at the time, I always said like, "Hey, I wanted to go into Little Shoot." Now, if would that have actually happened, I don't know. But that—that's kind of—I remember being a young kid, and you know, that's why I envisioned. But anyway, uh, like I said, moved into Little Shoot seventh grade. Um, met a lot of really, really good people. Uh, best friends to today um, are all—all all the guys that I still went to high school with. Um, when I was in high school, you know, everybody obviously knew me as a basketball player, right? Like that's you know what yeah. you know, people even to this day. You know, we talk about high school hoops and my, my time playing basketball, but. Um, you know, I was a football kid there too. Um, I had a, uh, actually pretty bad spinal cord injury my sophomore year of high school. That kind of forced me out of, you know, being able to, uh, like really do the contact of football. So the only way I could get like cleared, um, as part of my physical is I had to, I had to become a kicker. Right. So I, I kicked field goals. And I kicked off, um, cause I wasn't able to like have that contact anymore. Um, all because that spinal cord injury it was pretty, pretty, pretty gruesome. I had lost feeling both my legs and arms for about 25 minutes. Um, it was right about, I think, the first weekend of October. So I actually missed a little bit of basketball that sophomore year, um, just at the tail, the tail end of, or the, the, the start of the year, uh, just because I had to regain some strength and power uh, that I had lost because of the spinal cord injury. But I you know, played football all the way through senior year, like I said, uh, just the, the kicker, my junior and senior year. Um, wow. And then also messed around with track and baseball a little bit, too, in the spring. Uh, up until like when AU basketball really started to get too much uh, after my sophomore year, then I kind of had to be done with that because, uh, you know, the spring sport that is um, just because AU basketball was so big in April uh, that right. I, I wasn't around, you know, you know, the baseball field enough or, you know, the you know track and field to really be a part of what was going on there. So it, it was one of those things where I felt guilty, right? I, I couldn't I couldn't do both. Uh, so did all the AU stuff in the spring. Um but again, you know, just finished my high school basketball and uh, football career, you know, junior and senior year, and that was a ton of fun.
0: Going back and just kind of thinking about um, <laughs> elementary school and playing and stuff, was basketball always something that, you know, this is my sport. I have other sports that I like, but was basketball your true love?
1: Yeah, you know, it it honestly bounced back between football and basketball, right? Like I was a kid that. Um, you know, it sounds cliche, but I just love to compete. So it was really like whatever year I was or whatever season it was, um, was what it was about. But as the older I got, uh, basketball really became more prevalent as to like what I really invested my time into. And then when I had that injury my sophomore year of football, like that really put the, you know, the, the lock that football wasn't going to be a thing for me anymore. Um, and I really just really locked in on basketball. So, um, it, when like I said, when that football injury happened, like it was a no brainer, right? Like I am yeah. I'm basketball through and through. Um. And, you know, like, I love the game, right? That's why it's carried me, like, to what I'm doing now. Um, so, either, even if I didn't have that injury, you know, I probably still would end up where I was. Um, but it just kind of made it easy for me.
2: Turner, was uh, was Coach Peterson your kicking coach at uh, Little Shoot?
1: He was. <laughs> nice. How, yeah. how, how
2: was that experience? He's, he's a legend yep. in the kicking game.
1: Yeah, he was great. You know, he helped me a lot. Like I said, I was a guy that had absolutely no idea what to do uh, when it came to, you know, kicking field goals or kicking off. But... I just wanted to be a part of it. Like I said before, you know, I I just love to compete, right? So it's like I didn't want to leave my buddies. I didn't want to not be a part of a football team anymore. Um, so the only way to be, the only way for me to still be a part of it was I had to adapt, you know, to try and fill a role. Um, you know, when Coach ends at the time, our head, our head football coach gave me a great opportunity to do that. Now, I probably certainly wasn't the best one out there. You know, I'm sure we could have gotten a, a soccer kid like we usually do uh, and have them kick off or, you know, kick extra points wherever it was. Uh, and they probably could have done it just as good if not better than i did but again i think he understood the situation i was in and just you know he gave me a great opportunity to still be a part of things so you know i appreciated that for sure
2: i've often thought that as a football official that's a lethal weapon for a high school to have you know especially a soccer kid just a good kicker and in high school you, you can you can win definitely win games with a kicker
1: for sure yeah i mean there's just so many things like if you can get into field goal position. You can rely that you can get three points on the board or, you know, if you're going to kick off and you can ensure that your kicker is going to, you know, get a touchback and now you can set your defense at the 20. Like those are huge things, right? Like you just take the the variable out of that. So, um, yeah, it, like I said, it was a great opportunity for me. I wish I could have been out there doing other things. Um, uh, but just having the opportunity to, you know, still be, still be a part of a team, uh, and playing football. Cause like I said, I, it's, it's a sport I really did enjoy. Um, I wish I could have done more as, like I said, as a junior and senior, um, it was still a good experience.
2: Sure. Yeah, you know, we I've often wondered. So we, we've had we, we've had a lot of athletes, uh, uh, successful athletes on the NUSA cast, And we also have a lot of, you know, parents that always have a vision of a kid's going to be a D1 player in um, and, and this or that. I mean, you actually were a Division One basketball player. So. Keeping in your high school years, you, you know, you, you get hurt playing football, you realize basketball, you're all in in basketball. What does that look like in your life? I and mean, what's your day to day? I mean, you, is, is it basketball 365? Is that your focus that I, I need a D1 scholarship? I guess. What's your mindset as, as a, you know, as a freshman, sophomore in high school?
1: Well, I guess I'll start off by saying, like, I was really fortunate to be around a lot of really good people. And what I mean by that was, like, my peers uh, and then the coaching staff at Little Shoot that really put me in positions to be successful. Um, you know, we talk about the peers that I was around, like, just some – we look bad at, back at it, like, just some kids that were really good at just leading and accepting me. Um, you know, I was a three-year varsity player at Little Shoot. I didn't play up on varsity as a freshman. I played up on JV. Um, and, you know, that – it. Again, now being in the coaching role, I can kind of see this full circle now. You know, it takes a special group of kids to accept a kid that is an underclassman um, who people know about that's probably supposed to be pretty good. But until they show like what they can do, you know, it it takes a a special group to really accept that kid um, and, you know, kind of let him be who he is uh, and and show who he is. Um, And, you know, that senior class I played with when I was a sophomore in 2011, like they were great, right? Like they helped me lay the groundwork to what I needed to do. Um, to really grow and and again just kind of reach my potential uh, and hold me accountable at the same time right so that that was really like the the catalyst to like my high school basketball career was that sophomore year Um, and it's a a lot of that has to do with the guys that I was lucky enough to play with and then again you transpire to you know you look at the coaching staff too that put me in great positions I mean our coaching staff I, I would challenge you know anyone in the state to lay out a better coaching staff than what we had at that time you know we had guys coach Martin was obviously ahead of it right like he was the one that was calling the shots. He was our head coach, but you start looking at guys like Coach John Myron, um, you know, Coach Dan Valentine, uh, Coach Shane Knutson. You got guys there, you know, who all either won state championships or have been at the state tournament uh, as head coaches at, in various different roles uh, at different schools and whatnot. So, I uh, just was really, really fortunate with that. But you know, in terms of myself and like the day-to-day stuff that I was doing, um, you no, know, I was I, like I said, I was committed, right? Like I, I was through and through. Like this is what I wanted to do. Um, you know, almost to a fault probably at times, you know, now you look at things and it's just like, Hey, you know, your rest is almost as, just as important as getting out on the basketball floor and getting shots up or lifting the weights or whatever it is. Um, I was go, 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 right. It didn't matter if it was November 13th or, you know, December 25th or, you know, September 19th, it didn't matter. Right. Like I was going after it. Um, and I always wanted to get, like keep getting better. Um, that, you know, I was, I was just constantly around the basketball or constantly doing something to try and elevate my game. Um, because again, like I, I, knew what I wanted to do, right? And that was I wanted to play at the next level. Now, did I know it was going to be Division One right away? No, um, I just, I just knew I wanted to play, um, and I wanted to play at the highest level possible. So, I wasn't the most, you know, talented kid in terms of like my athletic ability, um, but my work ethic—I would like to think that I was, you know, second to none in the things that I did uh, to try and give myself an opportunity. Who
0: was a person who, who influenced you with that work ethic? Where did you learn that work ethic from?
1: You know, I think it started in the home, right? Like I think with my parents, you know, I just saw like the things that they did in, the, in their day to day. Like I said, my dad was a high school principal that then turned into a superintendent and like the amount of time and effort that he had to put into that, um, you know, to try and be successful in, in, in that part of things, um, as well as then juggle all the stuff that he did at home or with us, um, you know, coaching our youth teams or whatever it was. Um, I, I think that was evident. And then again, like my mom, uh, you talk about a person who who is willing to do anything for you, uh, no, again, regardless of the day or uh, the time or day. Um, th- that was just very, very obvious to me. So I, I would definitely say my parents um, just trying to model their behavior for sure.
2: Did you have a spot? So you're working hard. Did you have a time where it just kind of clicked like, man, I, I can maybe be a D1 athlete. I mean, is there when, when does that click?
1: It was probably after my junior year. You know, I talked about a little bit of AAU before. So how AAU works is you have live periods. Live periods mean that, you know, that's when the college coaches can come and see you. Um, you really have two live periods, or I think it's still this way, but back when I was playing, you had two live periods. Uh, that was the month of April, um, and then that was the month of July. After that that month in, or that April of, what would that have been, 2012? Uh, so my junior year, April um after that right like that's when i first started getting some calls uh and getting contacted uh from some division one schools and that's like okay like i i i'm kind of at that point now like this is where like i can go i can get to uh or this is where i'm at um before that like i said like i just wanted to play somewhere right like i knew i wanted to you know play at the next level and i didn't know if that was going to be like a uw oshkosh or if that was going to be a university wisconsin-madison right like i had no idea i knew i was i knew i was pretty good but again i had never really gotten out um outside of like the state of Wisconsin to really see how I matched up, right? So that junior year of uh, the spring of the junior year really opened my eyes a little bit um, and made it realistic as like, this is something I can do.
0: What, what is that AAU like? I mean, I, I have no idea from the basketball standpoint. Yeah. What is that whole process like? I mean, do you try out for multiple teams? Yeah. You get on the team you want? Do you try? Where do you travel to?
1: Yeah. So it, it's different uh, depending on like what program you're in, right? So like now there's tons of different programs. It's actually probably yeah. too saturated, um, like a lot of things. Um, when I was playing though, again, there was like a couple of like your premier teams that you um, yeah. wanted to get onto if you were like one of the more talented or thought you were one of the more talented players. Um, I was really, really fortunate that I got found and was part of the Wisconsin Playmakers organization. Um, you know, the team that I was on had a handful of Division One kids. Um, it was really beneficial for me um, that I had those type of kids because, like, those coaches to start were going to watch those kids. And then they came and, you know, they like, oh, who's this guy? You know, who's this 6'4 white kid that's out there trying to, you know, run through the wall you know, to try and win, right? So that helped me a lot. Um, you know, played again for a really, really coach, a really, really good coach there. Um, and just was put in a really good position with a bunch of really good kids. And, uh, um, that, that was really how our AU program worked. But, you know, to answer your question a little bit better, it's, I got selected to be on that team. There's other teams that you have to try out for. Um, it really just depends.
2: Do you, uh, in your travel, I mean, are you traveling with your parents? Are you traveling with the team? What, what, what's your travel life like then?
1: Yeah. So for that, for that team, we, uh, we were a pretty close knit team. Um, again, it's all different, but our, that team specific, like we, we had traveled with our parents. We were going all over the country, though, whether it would be like, you know, I don't know, Las Vegas or Kansas. Um, we'd stay in the Midwest, sometimes go to Indiana. Really, the only Wisconsin based tournaments we would have were called the NY2LA tournaments in Milwaukee. And I think that was like twice a year we were in Milwaukee. Outside of that, we're going out of the state, um, you know, catching flights, like I said, to Vegas or Florida or whatever it is uh, to go play on a national schedule.
2: So I know it's. Parents. I mean I, I had my kids are a little bit older, so I certainly remember I had a boy that, that traveled soccer and, and one that played lacrosse. So same thing. You're catching flights, you're in the car with with your parents and looking at it as a dad, and I know Tasha's done the same thing with, with hockey. So as a dad, I look back on those moments and those are some of the best times I've ever had as a kid. I mean, do you I guess as a kid, now that you're maybe a little bit older, I mean, do you reflect on those times, hanging with dad, hanging with mom and dad, however you traveled as a group? I mean, are those, do you look back with fond memories of of those times? Are those specific just in the car with with the parents?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And again, like, you know, to help my parents out, because a lot of those times, like we weren't old enough to drive yet, right? So like we were traveling maybe one or two other families and we're just crammed into a car. And like I said, it's all those conversations that you have, um, you know, time in a hotel after a game, Again, you know, my dad would get after me. You know, if I if I wasn't playing up to standard, right? And again, I love him for it. You know, I think that's what helped me get to the point I'm at today. Um, but those are some of the more like prominent conversations I remember. Is this like you know, we really flew all the way across the country for you to play like that? And it's like, yeah, you're right. I got to get my stuff together, and then I'll you know, inherently play better the next game. Right? Like that's that's just how I responded. Um, but yeah, for sure, I, I definitely remember those times. And again, it just makes me uh, just be. Uh, just so fortunate and grateful that I was given those opportunities to know that everybody else is. So um, I'm glad to hear. I mean, yeah.
2: as, as a parent and an investment that, that you make as a parent and your, and your kids, I mean, man, that, that's what it's all about. I, that, that That is just the best part. So as a dad, I'd love to hear that. For sure.
0: I, I want to go back and – so you have this injury, and it does cut into your basketball season. Um, how tough was it to come back from that? I mean, it, did it, it – it went into the season. Did it take a lot of the season or –
1: you know, so I, I was, I thought that I was trying, I was going to bring that up initially. Cause but I couldn't remember. I want to say like, I missed like the first, like six to eight games is what I remember. Okay. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me, uh, once I got through like the, the PT portion of the recovery process, um, wasn't more, wasn't exactly like, you know, is my body physically able to do what it wants to do, but it was a mental hurdle, right? Like, um, the football injury wasn't extremely gruesome by any means. Like, how, what, how it happened is i caught a pass over the middle kind of got upended landed on my head and then had another guy land on top of me right so okay. not crazy like like i said gruesome in any means but um bad enough that you know something like that happened so um i think again the biggest thing for me was you know the mental hurdle on like if i get hit my neck what is that gonna do right or if i get upended in a basketball game because it happens right like what's yeah. that gonna do so you know once I got through the mental hurdle of, you know, all right, I, you know, I'm okay. Like I'm going to be fine here. Um, there's always a, a risk to playing athletics. Right. And like, if yeah. I'm okay with it, like I just got to play. Right. And I was, it sounds crazy at the time, but again, this kind of goes back to the, the conversation about how committed I was. Like that's the point I was at. Right. And again, maybe that might be a bit extreme, but I was re- literally ready to lay it all on the line just to try and be successful in, in, in basketball at that time. Once I got over the mental hurdle, you know, it wasn't bad, but like I said, I think I was out six day games. Um, okay. and it, it probably took me a little bit more after that to really get in the flow of things. And that goes back to the conversation again about like having a really good group of seniors and really other, like really, really good teammates. that just let me kind of do my thing for a little bit until we were, uh, you no know, full speed ahead. So,
0: so I know you always look back and sometimes you're like, there's a silver lining to things. Was there a silver line into this injury Did it help you become a stronger player in the future and person who you are?
1: Yeah, I would think, um, You know, because again, like, you know, talk basketball specific, it allowed me a ton more time to just focus on basketball, right? Because I was a football basketball kid, like I wanted to be really, really good at football. So I was trying to do everything necessary to do that, right? And I I also wanted to be really, really good at basketball. You only have so many hours in the day, right? So when the football thing was kind of taken away from me, you know, I I didn't obviously put as much time in kicking as I probably should because my brain immediately flipped to basketball, right? So, um the silver lining in all this is, yes, it probably helped me elevate my basketball game um, and get me to a level that I probably wouldn't have gotten to had I stayed with both. Um, but, again, I haven't really thought about that much. But, again, like that's probably my answer is, you know, it just allowed me to get better in basketball because it allowed me to spend more time in the gym.
2: You know, yeah. maybe as a coach, I, you'll have to think about how to answer this. But academically, I mean, how, how are you juggling academics and, and getting to where you want to be in sports? Is, is that Was that tough for you?
1: Well, again, it helped. So me, right? And I'll be the first one to tell you, I was never the, the brightest kid in the world, right? Like I never, I didn't enjoy school as much as I probably should have. Now I, I understood the importance of it, right? Like I never had any academic issues. Um, but again, I'd be the first to tell you, I probably could have put some more effort into my academics uh, than I did. But again, with having a dad that, you know, as an educator, like I was never allowed to slack um, to the point where I would never be, where I would ever be like an inac- academic ineligible, right? Like that was, that was never going to happen. Because again, like, He's the leader of our school. Right. So if your own son's not figuring out what you can't get it figured out, that's not a great look. Right. So um, I, my parents are always hard on me on academics, despite my uh, my unwillingness to want to do it at times. Uh, the, like I said, it was never a problem. Uh, I did what was necessary you know, to uh, get good grades and um, not have that affecting you, like my college recruiting or anything like that, um, despite, like, like I said, not always wanting to want to put the most time into it so
2: you know taking that question into and, and we haven't talked about your GB career but I'm always curious uh, so in the in the college world I mean that that's a whole different life you're traveling and, and all of that I mean is was school was that more difficult in college you, academically to, to keep up on your studies or or easier
1: yeah no I would I mean it's definitely harder um, so when you're playing at the division one level um, and you're gone in the season like all the time right you're playing two road games a week uh if you're on the road um you're obviously when, when you're when your butt's not in a seat in class um you're missing things i don't care if you have your academic advisors that travel with you like we did or not that are you know helping you out to try and you know teach you the content that you maybe may have missed when you're gone if you're not if you're not actually taking in the information and you're not you know in a classroom and you're collaborating with other students or the teacher like you're going to miss things it just is what it is so um, it, it definitely was a struggle. You know, that first freshman year, um, again, not that I got horrible grades, but it was kind of a shock to the system where it's like, man, I definitely have to put the effort that I put in high school was not going to fly at the college level. Um, you know, harder classes, you know, the curriculum, more difficult. The teachers don't give you as much time as, or as much like leniency, I guess, as what the high school teachers may have given you. Um, it, it definitely was more difficult, you know, trying to juggle the whole basketball thing on top of that. So, that's really where I you know I got the organization the discipline that you know when you have free time it's not time to you know go play video games go take a nap it's time to get your head in a book so you, you can get that stuff screwed away because you know later on that day you have practice and then you have weightlifting and then you're really not gonna feel like doing anything when you get back to your dorm or apartment at 8 or 8 p.m. so um, it was definitely more difficult though for sure
2: did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up at that age
1: I actually did I didn't know uh, I didn't know exactly what my route was going to be getting there, but I knew that I wanted to get into law enforcement um, when I was done uh, with school for sure.
0: Looking back at your senior year. So you get through your junior year, you have have a, have a good junior year in your senior year. You start getting the recruiting calls. You, you have a good season. How how was that senior year? Is it, yeah? was it difficult for you to get through that year and have that year come to an end? Or is it just, you still have memories of playing that senior year and, Did you take a leadership role and model yourself after those leaders who helped you as a sophomore?
1: I I mean, I would hope that's what guys would say about me um, is that, you know, I was one of those guys that tried to lead by example. Um, And when I was, again, I'll be the first to tell you, I was intense, right? Like I expected, like if I was going to be doing all this stuff and like I want, I had that will to win, like I was never going to ask anybody to do anything that I wasn't doing. I understood not a lot of people were going to put the same effort that I was going to put forward. But I also... At the end of the day, I still held people accountable, right? And, like, I wanted to win, and that's all I cared about, right? So I was probably, again, over the top at times. Um, you know, none of my, like I said, none of my former teammates, some of the best friends in the world that I still have today ever tell me that. Um, but, again, I would get after it because, I like, that's how much I cared, right? And I didn't want anything more at that time than to bring a state championship back to Little Shoot. You know, the, the, the high school has never won a state championship team sport uh, in anything, right, and I knew that at the time. Um, and that's all I wanted. Right. Like, I didn't care about, you know, anything about personal accolades. I didn't care about, you know, how we did it. I just knew that that's what I wanted, um, you know, for our, for our team and for our, for our village was, you know, to be able to bring back uh, a state championship. No, to this day, still, like, I don't think about it often. Right. Like, I've found a have definitely moved on. Right. Like, the, the, that's my senior year high school. Like, I've i found peace that, you know, didn't work out and that yeah. it wasn't meant to be. But, you know, I'll still sometimes. You know, envision and I'll drive over the bridge from Kimberly to Little Shoot, and you know, be like, I wonder what it looked like to see you know home of the the 2013 State Boys Basketball Team. You know, where would that be a great spot for it? And for it not being there, you know, still kind of gets at me. But um, you know, that that kind of drives me into what I'm doing now, and you know, trying to serve others, and you know, the coaching that I'm doing, and um, just trying to fulfill that for somebody else now. So
2: you know, we haven't mentioned the 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 Appalachian East coach. but I mean, you're, you're young. I love the fact that you're a young coach. I mean, that's got to bode pretty well for you is your connection with the kids. Would you? It's probably easier maybe at your age, would you say?
1: Yeah. You know, again, like you'll have to ask my guys, uh, <laughs> I guess, but you know, I, I try to uh, model behavior towards that. that I, you know, don't want them to model on, on their day to day. You know, I try to connect with them on uh you know, on a personal level at times that like I said, I think it's easier because of my age, right? Like I think I can, uh, you know, reference some of the things that they may be talking about or listening to on the radio, right. As crazy as it sounds. But, um, you know, you know, my age, I think definitely helps. Um, I think it all, I think it helps them kind of open up to me as well. Um, that it wasn't very long ago that I was going through the same things that they were going through. Um, and then you talk about like my college experience as well, right? Like, you know, that's what a lot of them want right i don't know if that's always they don't always know what that entails but when they start they all want to play at the next level whether it's in basketball football baseball whatever it is a lot of them always want to play at the next level um so by me being in the position i am you know and they kind of know what the things that i've done and not because we talk about it right like i've never told the guys that i've done this or done that or won these awards or anything like that but they, they find out after a while um I, I just think it allows him to kind of trust me a little bit more. Right. And, you know, understand like, Hey, even though this dude's only 28 years old, like maybe we should listen to him because he's, he's, he's done something before. So I don't know. That's just kind of my thought with all of it.
2: I mean, that's gotta be kind of weird. 10 years ago, you're graduating high school and, and now you're coaching those kids. That's <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it's bizarre. You know, what's even more weird is like this past Friday, right. Where we, we played Nina and coach Robbins and it's like, you know, I remember when I had gone, when he was the coach at Xavier uh, high school and I had gone to his camps. Right. And when I so I don't know how old I would have been six and it's like, now I'm coaching against you. Like this is, this is really weird, but um, yeah, it, it's crazy. Yeah. 10 years ago would have graduated. I don't know. <laughs> <It's crazy.
2: laughs> Life's so. weird for sure. Did the kids find like, I, I don't know if you're on YouTube or if that's before, I mean, do they bring clips of your, your playing days and, and uh, not nothing impressive from the kids that, that you've done any moves?
1: I I wish we could delete all the videos on YouTube of me back in high school. Okay? <laughs> I think we had film the other day um, at East and we had film and then we were supposed to take our team photo right for the, like the school yearbook and whatnot. We got done with film a little bit early so the, I'm like so oh, all you guys want to hang out in here no point in going home because we got these photo in 15 20 minutes. So I come back in the the film room after you know it's, to get the guy, the kids to go and take our photo. I got the stupid YouTube up with like my, my high school mixtape on there that I had no business. In making. Like it was another kid our school that I made it at the time. Like, yeah, we don't need to be watching that. You know, like those days are long gone. Like you guys don't need to be watching that. So yeah, they definitely found their way into, into some of the archives of the old, uh, like I said, high school mixtapes and whatnot, but it's all good.
0: Let's get back to that. Uh, your senior year in the recruiting process um, being recruited as a D one athlete. Uh, how crazy was that for you?
1: again, it's not, it's something that I don't think I really appreciate until I was done with it. Right. Like I didn't fully understand that that's not an opportunity that a lot of kids get. Um, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, you, you every time you picked up the phone to talk to one of those coaches, they make you feel like the most important person in the world. Right. Cause like they yeah. want you to come to their school. Right. So they're telling you everything that you want you to hear. And, uh, it was a crazy experience. Like no one in my family has ever gone through something like that. So, I didn't have anything to relate it to or really ask. I didn't have anyone to ask questions of because um, I didn't really know, right? Um, so they only, I kind of really relied on the people I was playing in that AAU basketball with, uh, those other kids that were getting some of those calls, and um, learned a lot when I went on some unofficial and official visits at, at schools. Um, but it was just, it was a heck of a time. It was a ton of fun. You know, people that are in that position now, they may tell you it's stressful and, you know, it's hard or whatever else. Like for me, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, it was something that I worked so hard for. So when I when I was going through it, it was just I just felt the reward in all of it um, that this was real and you know, this was a real thing for me. And like I said, I just I just really really enjoyed that process for sure.
0: So was uh, what's GB your school? Did you think that GB was your school, or were there some other schools that were contenders at the time?
1: No, there there was definitely some other schools. Um, you know, I had loved South Dakota State. I had loved uh, the University of El Paso. Um, a lot of uh, one school that not a lot of people know about that I, that I really liked. Um, was West Point you know I I had loved you know West Point um at the time I the one thing I didn't love was the idea of you know having to wear like a a uniform and being like you know um I guess I don't want to say proper that's probably not the right word but um like so in line I guess on every on a day-to-day basis I couldn't get on I couldn't get on board with that um, but I, I love, I love the military idea about potentially enlisting for four years after, uh, I was done with school. Like I guess I knew I wanted to get into law enforcement. Um, so the, the military thing was kind of, you know, right there with that, had I not gotten these basketball opportunities, you know, that was my plan was to go into the military. So again, like that had all kind of lined up well for me. Um, but it was just too hard for me to turn down Green Bay at the time. Like that was a school that was one of the top mid-major programs in the country, you know, they had uh, some guys coming back my freshman year that I knew we were going to be pretty good and we were going to have a chance at a four, uh, four-year career that was going to be pretty good. Um, and it ended up being really, really good for me, right? Like, went to the Lake tournament, won a Horizon League championship, won a Horizon League regular season tournament, played in NIT twice, um, beat a lot of good teams, um, you know, beat top 25 teams in the country, um, it, you know, played for two really, really good coaches, played with a great group of guys, um, just a lot of really good memories from Green Bay. And the thing that I think that topped all of it off and the thing that was biggest for me and the reason probably why I picked Green Bay over anywhere else was it was close to home. And I was, my, my family was going to be allowed to, you know, just drive 26 miles, I think of what it was, to the rest center and, um, you know, see me play every home game if they really wanted to. So that was really what put it over the top was the being so close to home uh, with the ability to still play at a, like a really high level and be competitive i
2: appreciate that, that you consider that you know i mean we, we just talked about earlier about your, your parents I mean, tripping all over the country and i often think about that kids go off and play at school and a lot of times there are it's almost impossible for the parents to, to go see the games live i mean you we're lucky we can see streams but you know for you to be 20 minutes up the road that has to be great for your parents one question i had at at gbc so you, you played for two different coaches what is that like when there's a coaching change right in the middle of of you know you're playing years and, and and in particular that very first meeting a new coach walks into a a room he didn't recruit you what what is that first meeting like
1: Yeah yeah that was that was crazy right like that was uncharted territory for sure um you know I had first committed to Green Bay uh played for coach uh, Wardle for my first two years I had no idea um throughout my whole freshman year that he was potentially going to go somewhere else. Um, but, again, we had a really good year. We had won the Horizon League tournament or conf- Horizon League regular season that year. Um, so naturally, right, some of the bigger schools are going to start calling um, because now he's proven himself, right? Uh, so my sophomore year, you know, you start hearing rumors, you know, especially midseason that, again, we're having another really good year uh, that that Coach Wardle might get out at the end of the year. Uh, we play at Illinois State as our last game of the year As part of the NIT tournament, um, we lose in the tournament at Illinois State. I think it was like four or five days after that, that he accepted the job at Bradley. Um, So now it's like, well, what am I going to do? Right? Like, am I going to stay at Green Bay? Am I going to go somewhere else? Who's this new coach? Like, what's the system? Am I going to fit in that? Um, Is he going to even want me? Right? Like those are all things that you think about. Um, So you kind of have to start having a plan as if it doesn't work out here, like, again, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Now, I was really, really fortunate when Coach uh, Darner came in um, that immediately, you know, we had our team meeting or um, he brought everybody back. Uh, that was, you know, obviously that, that he wanted. And it was like, hey, you know, we're going to compete right away and we're going to get to the NCAA tournament this year. Like, oh, all right. You know, like that's easy to jump on board with. Right. Like I got a guy here that really believes in us and he wasn't blowing smoke. Like you can tell when you're talking with somebody and it's like, all right, they're just trying to say the right things to keep people on board or, you know start off on the right foot, whatever it is, but it was just different with Coach Darner. So, um, you know, when he talked, it was it was very, very powerful, um, and it was an easy decision for me to want to stay there. Now, had that conversation gone differently or said or – had he not wanted me to stay or whatever it was, yeah, then that would have been tough. Then I would have to go obviously try and find somewhere else. But uh, with Coach Darner, it was such a smooth transition um, that that it, it I didn't have any problems with it at all.
2: So. Sure. Well, when Coach Wardle – you know, accepts the new job. I mean, just, how does he let you guys know? Or do you even get a chance to see him? Is he just out of town on the next bus or?
1: Yeah, no, he, uh, he had actually called the meeting. So like we actually had seen it break first and no fault to him, right? Like this, he didn't probably, he obviously didn't want it to go this way, but you know, I think it popped up on our ESPN app and it's, you know, said Brian Wardle to Bradley. Um, and shortly thereafter, you know, we had a team meeting and he told us that way. And then I think he was out of town you know, a couple of days after that. Um, but, yeah, it, it first started with ESPN and then the uh, then the team meeting. Uh, he had told us in person. So,
2: Sure. So, it you know, I, I'm assuming that, that one of your highlights, obviously, is playing in the NCAA tournament. I mean, what? I can't even imagine. I mean, a high school kid, great high school career. But, I mean, we all love March Madness. I mean, you're and, – and then to get the opportunity to, to walk into one of those arenas and, and you're playing in March Madness, I mean, come on. That, that's just – it's gotta be an unbelievable feeling.
1: Yeah, you know, you, you say that, and like it, like I, I'm sitting here, and I still get goosebumps thinking of that because that was, you know, the highlight of my my basketball career, to, the, regardless of level. Um, you know, to have that opportunity to, you know, play at Chesapeake Arena in Oklahoma City um, against Texas A and M. You know, they won the SEC that year. Had a lot of really good players, guys that are playing in the NBA still currently and on overseas contracts. Um, that, that was just really, really special, um, you know, to be able to have that opportunity because that's something that I thought about for a really long time prior to that point. Um, you know, I was no different than a lot of kids growing up where it's like, you know, I'm out in the driveway and I'm messing around and I'm envisioning these opportunities and taking shots from half court, right. Or from the three point line, four seconds ticking on the clock, um, you know, the one in, in the NCAA tournament now. And then to really have that opportunity was, was just really, really special. Um, and, th- and with that group of guys too, and everything that we kind of had gone through, um, you know, leading up to that point, you know, winning the Horizon League tournament, we had four games in four days um, at Spring wow. in Detroit, you know, because we didn't come into that tournament as number one seed. Um, so to be able to qualify for the the NCAA tournament the way that we did with that group, uh, with Coach Darner on his first year and the rest of the staff. It, yeah, it, it's one of those things that you'll remember forever. Um like I said, give me goosebumps when you when you first still talk about it. So.
2: How, how long does it take you to settle into a game like that? I mean, you obviously have goosebumps in, in pregame, but I mean, a couple of minutes? When are you kind of just feeling like, okay, it's another game, kind of? You
1: no, know, it, it's, it's hard to, I, honestly, I, I can't even tell you. I, I don't I don't really remember. What I can tell you is the first two minutes of that game after the ball got tipped, I really don't remember at all, which is probably not good, right? Like, that means I was in a good <laughs> game. It's like one of those things you never want to be in. Um but a lot of it, again, was just how surreal everything was, right? Like, I remember going out for the media. So how the NCAA tournament works is, you know, you say you play on, I think we played on a Thursday. So on that Wednesday, you have a media practice, and it's open. What that means, it's open to the media. You get, I think it was like 90 minutes on the clock. Everything's obviously so structured. You, you're not even allowed to touch a basketball. Like, once the clock starts, that's when your, your time starts. And we're in Chesapeake Arena, where the Oklahoma City underplays so plays on NBA arena, huge. And the whole first bowl of that arena is just filled with media people. Um, and there's people on the floor and, like, they're there to watch your practice, right? Because you now you're in the NCAA tournament. I remember just being a part of that and being like, wow, this is crazy, right? Like, <laughs> again, like, this is wild. And then Texas, the University of Texas had practice after us. And, again, everything's so structured. So, right, the, the the horn blows. Um, you know, you walk off the floor. Like, the basketballs stay where they are. Like, somebody comes out and picks them all up. Like, you're that's it, right? You're not even allowed to do anything else. And – <laughs> I remember walking past Texas, and this is probably where really hit me, like, oh, we're here. And we're walking past Texas in the tunnel, and I'm, like, looking at these guys, and they're all, like, my size or taller, but, like, 20 or 30 more pounds. Um, and I vividly remember, and I don't know who it was. I didn't see him, but I remember hearing, like, oh, you guys are better off just going back to your Wisconsin middle school. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like, these guys are huge, right? And, like, they right. look at us, and, like, we're in major program, and there's like, there's definitely a difference in size and athleticism um i'm like oh, okay yeah we're here now like this is no joke um so it felt pretty good to me when i saw texas get upset by northern iowa the next round by <laughs> paul jesus and a the half court shot um i played with paul's brother at uh green bay and paul was part of the wisconsin playmakers program so to see him hit that shot in nor- for northern iowa against texas i felt pretty good about um just because of that comment but yeah <laughs> it was probably when i was walking through that tunnel and that comment was made that i was like okay we're here sure. like we've got to do, what to do. so
2: what, what is smack talk like at the D one level? I mean, are you guys just jaw jacking the whole game or is there, are there some legendary comments that you can, you can remember?
1: Honestly, like it's intense, right? Like again, cause that level, like everybody wants to win so bad and it doesn't, and again, like this is bad, right? I hope none of my players ever listen to this, but it didn't, <laughs> it didn't matter if you were a player, if you were a coach, like if you wanted to say something, like you could get it right. And what I mean by that is like, everybody was fair game. So, um, you know, you had guys that would just go at you and it would, they would let you know, like, if they get a bucket on you, like they're <laughs> coming right back at it. Um, and for the type of player that I was, again, like I wasn't the most athletic person in the world. So I had to, if I wanted to play and if I wanted to find a way on the floor, like I just had to play harder and more intense than people. And sometimes with that being said, I had to talk a little bit. Um, I had to show people like I wasn't going to back down. Right. And, you know, I got teed up a couple times uh, because of things that, you know, never that I probably, nothing that I said was ever inappropriate, right? Nothing ever crossed the line. But like, again, like I was never going to get punked and I was never going to let somebody like try to like, you know, be more physical than I was. Um, and again, sometimes to a fault, right? And my coaches knew that, like if, if I was playing, like that was always a possibility and I was never going to be dumb about it. You know, I was never going to um, get one at a bad time or, you know, I was smarter than that. Um, but again, if, uh, you know, I don't want. I don't want to get too deep into that because again, I'm not sure I don't want to portray myself as being this very negative person because I'm not there. When I was in within the lines of the basketball floor, I was a complete different person than I than I was when I when I walked off the floor. That's um, a little fuel again, to the you know, fire,
2: right? It fuels you up a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, if I if if you ask anybody I played with or I played against, like they would tell me, tell you, hopefully, right? Like I don't act that way off the floor, but I was, I was just different when it went out, when the, when the ball went up and we were, we were in the confines of a basketball floor. So.
2: It's interesting. I mean, the, the special players, that the really good athletes, no matter what sport you get them between the lines and they're just, they're different people, whatever, something clicks and then you take them back outside of the lines and they're just normal, normal people. Again, maybe, maybe that's just the competitive spirit and maybe, Maybe that's just why, you know, you're better at a sport than, than, than other people. It's just that that competitive edge, whatever that is, tough to define. So I
0: don't know how to say this. That intensity that you have, natural intensity, how do you try to get your players to have that intensity? Or do they?
1: Yeah. So that's one of the <laughs> hardest things, right, especially coaching high school basketball, because yeah. I'm very well aware of where the line's at, right? Like I'm never going to cross the line. I'm never going to say anything that's, too, that's inappropriate. I'm never going to do anything that's inappropriate. Um, I understand high school basketball is way different than college basketball. And you can do things differently at the college level than you do at the high school level, um, you know, with players. So um, it's, it's difficult. Right. Cause again, like my natural nature, when things don't go well is like, I want to rip something apart and like rip somebody's head off until we figure it out. Right. Like, cause that's <laughs> like my will to want to compete. My will to want to win. Um, like I'm willing to do anything for it. Now in the, in today's world of, you know, teaching and coaching, like that's not the best way to do In my opinion, it's not the best way to do anymore, Right. If I have a player that wants to be that way. Great. I love it. You know, I wish I had all 16 kids that wanted to be that way. Right. But I feel the way that coaching and the landscape is going, it's like, you have to be more of like the, the nurturer of things. Right. And it's like, yeah. you can't yell, you can't scream at kids. Like I, that, that's not the way to do it. Right. Um, so I, if you ask any of my kids, like I don't ever yell at them. I don't ever swear at them. Um, but they also know, right, like there's a standard that is set and there's a standard as to how we do things. Um, and If you don't meet the standard, right, like it's very black and white as the response to that is. Um, so I think that's how like, I try and approach it. Right. It's like my competitiveness and my intensity comes in just the standards that are set um, and there's no deviating from the standard. Um, you know, I, I truly believe like if we do it consistently for a long enough period of time that we're going to see change or we're going to see, you know, success, we're going to be successful. Um, and I'm not sure if that's going to be in two years or three years, but it all goes around that, you know, that, that word of culture and, you know, trying to, you know, instill, instill, instill a culture into the program, um, specifically at East, uh, to try and create winners, you know, not only on on the basketball floor, but in life. So, um, that's really how I bottled my, my competitive nature and, you know, trying to show these kids is like what it's about to be successful. Um, it's just really by setting a standard and, and, you know, upholding a culture.
2: I, I read a quote somewhere on, on your uh, your offensive philosophy, your, your, how, how you coach it. You, you said something to the effect that you change your offensive philosophy with the kids. Is that, I guess, one, is that true? And two, I guess, what, is that sort of a reflection maybe on travel ball? These kids are so developed by the time you see them in high school. Why? Um, what's the thought behind that?
1: Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, exactly. I, I don't have a set way of how we're, we're going to play at East. Um, year in and year out. Now again, there's a standard as to like what's acceptable in terms of, um, you know, we're never going to you no know, be a team that's you know going to be undisciplined or you know that, that isn't going to be like fundamentally sound, right? But like, if we got a bunch of slow kids that are unathletic, like we're not going to run up and down the floor and try and get seventy possessions a game, right? Because that would be that would be dumb. We got a bunch of slow and unathletic kids. We're going to slow it down and we're going to run some like set continuity on the offensive side of the basketball, right? And then vice versa on defense, we're not going to be up in gaps and trying to pressure to you know or trap to try and make steals, right? We're going to be in more of a pack or whatever it is um, to try and limit, you know, team's ability to extend us out to them, you know, space us out, whatever. Um, whereas if we have a fast team, right, yeah, we're going to be pushing it. We're going to be doing things a little bit more free-flowing and we're going to get in passing lanes defensively to try and, you know, speed things up. So certainly every year things are going to look different based on the kids that we have. I think the reason that it is that way um, for me is, you know, um, again, I've been around a lot of really good coaches. Um, I'm connected to a lot of really good coaches, and that's kind of the message that I've gotten from them through the years. You know, at the high school level, you can't recruit. You know, you get what you get. Um, You kind of have to make it fit to the kids that you have that year. And if you get stuck in a – that's what all the good coaches do. If you get stuck in a a system year after year – and you don't have the kids to plug into that system, well, that's when you're going to start getting, like, the inconsistencies and wins and whatever else. So, um, you know, the last two years at East, well, sorry, we'll say last year and a half, um, you know, have we won as many games as we wanted to? Absolutely not, right? Like, we want to win all the games and we haven't won enough. Um, But, again, like, that's – we're still setting a culture and we're still trying to set standards. And with high school kids, it's really, really hard to do that. Um, But, you know, certainly up for the challenge.
2: I mean, the FBA, is there a tougher conference to play, in? it's a battle every single night.
1: Yeah, and that too, right? Like again, you look at the coaches and the teams that you're playing against. Um, you know, you, you look up and down the board. You got coaches that have coached at the Division Two college level. You've got coaches that have coached in high school, that've won state championships. You've got Division One recruits here, Division One recruits there. Um, you know, it's a battle, and again, like that was one of the biggest draws for me yeah, as being a competitor it was just like I wanted to be a part of that. So when the East job opened like i have to give this a shot right like again i'm so emotionally and like physically invested into what was going on in little shoot from being a you know going up there and then coaching there prior to coming over to east it was really hard for me to leave because i care a lot about that program and that and that school and those kids but again at some point i'm like i have to try this because this is who i am right like i naturally always gravitate towards like what's the most difficult path and then try and you know push through that and, and be successful in what's going on um you know so yeah, the FEA is no joke. Um, I don't think you fully understand it and, and until you're in it. You know how hard it is, game in and game out, um, to be successful. So that's when you got when you look at guys like you know, Coach Robis and Coach Shallow, and these guys that have been around forever that have you know, like really successful careers. It's like that. That's really really hard to do.
2: Are your emotions the same as a coach going in this environment as a player, or I mean, are, are you getting kind of juiced up in a just just a different feeling in a different way than, than your? Yeah, playing it's basically. definitely
1: different. Yeah, it's definitely different, right? Like, as a player, like, obviously, I felt like I had much more of an impact, like, once the ball was actually tipped on a win or a loss, right? Because as a coach, right, like, I can only do so much, right? And, like, I try and put my kids in good positions to be successful. But a lot of that happens, you know, before the game actually starts, right? Because through scouting reports and uh, game planning, whatever else, once the ball tips, like, there's, there's certain adjustments that are made, but a lot of times it comes down to, are your kids going to make shots or are they going to make plays or are they not, right? So, um, you know, as a coach like, again, I I would hope that I would be described as someone that on the sideline, you know, is calm but in, intense, right? Um, whereas a player, like, it was very obvious that, uh, you know, I, I played with, like, my emotion on my sleeve a little bit and I was ready to get after it. So um, I, I think that's definitely the, the, the biggest difference is, you know, I, I understand what's going on, but um, just much more reserved. Uh, but again, I'll fight for my guys, right? Like for the, if I feel like there's something going on, like I'm there for them. Um, you know, I'm doing what I can, to, you know, to really to get us a win from the coaching standpoint of things. But at the end of the day, it's like, are you, you got guys that can make plays? you got guys that make shots or not. Right. So, um, I understand that.
0: So as a, as a coach, I mean, when, when I was coaching baseball, sometimes you just be frustrating because you'd be like, are you kidding me? How can you not make that play? And you just be sitting there in your head, do you sometimes get that feeling on, on yeah. the sidelines? It's like, what in the world?
1: <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, that always happens, right? Where it's like, I mean, I can't believe we did that, or I can't believe that didn't happen, or I can't believe we didn't make that shot. Um, you know, Maybe selfish, or I don't know, maybe we're thinking like, oh, I could have made that play or whatever, but I'm certainly never going to tell my kids that, right? Like, <laughs> again, I like to think that, you know, if you were to ask my kids, like, I don't talk, again, I don't talk about myself. I don't talk about the things that I did. A lot of the times, like if it's important enough, they'll hear it from somebody else. Um, you know, I, it's not about me; it's about them, right? So it's like I, yeah. I definitely don't vocalize those 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 thoughts if I, <laughs> if I have them. Um, I think again, it goes into the the nature of what coaching is now. It's more the you know the encouraging and you know trying to be supportive and yeah. you know, like all right, next 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 play here type of thing. Like, what can we do to you know to be successful here in the next play? So, but yeah, I definitely do have those thoughts at times.
2: Do you have a trick or, or I, I guess, what did you do as a player and maybe how, how do you, what, what, how would you teach your player? I mean, obviously sports is all about failure. How, how do you quickly refocus just, just to get that failure out of your mind and just refocus on the, on the next task? Do you have, is is it just enough failure?
1: Yeah. You know, we just, we just talk about it. Right. And like, it, it's as simple as saying, like, we don't, we, we try not to compile mistakes, right? Like we say, don't ever make two mistakes in a row, right? Like I always tell my kids straight up, like, I'm never going to take you out for turning the basketball over. I'm never going to take you out for turn, uh, like missing shots or, you know, messing something up that is some type of mental thing within the basketball game. But if you do it two times in a row, right? Like it's hard for me to keep you on the floor, right? Like that's, what's going to get you guys pulled out. Um, so just being upfront with them and having those conversations, like I think helps my guys um, you know to be able to play with some confidence to be like, you know, coach really doesn't care if I miss a shot. Coach really doesn't even care if I take a bad shot at times, as long as I do don't do it two times in a row. Then I learn from it. Like that, that's all I can ask, right? Because, again, I would be, uh, I would be dumb to think like I never made any mistakes. That was one of the biggest things that Coach Darner did for me at, at Green Bay, my my junior and senior years. So he just kind of let me loose, um, and, and I got that from him. It's just like, listen, like. If you're open, shoot the basketball. If you miss, it is what it is, right? If it's a good shot, you're not coming out. Same thing with if you're trying to make a play and you turn the basketball over, I could care less. Just don't do two things dumb in a row and you're going to be fine, right? So, again, just being up front with my guys, trying to instill confidence in them. Um, and then if they do come out because something stupid happened, well, then they're going right back in the game. And, you know, a minute or two after we hit, just have a quick chat. So just trying to be really, really positive.
2: It's one of those, I, I've become so fascinated with that question at the cast, Tasha, and I've been so lucky to talk to people like you about that is, is just failure and overcoming failure because it's a real, I mean, it happens in life. I mean, Tasha, we're middle-aged guys. We fail all the time, and you always have to <laughs> overcome that, and it's it's just, I, I guess it comes with age to 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 really learn that, and maybe you don't ever truly learn it, but just to overcome that, that that's what sports and a lot of things can teach it, but sports in particular is just to be able to overcome that. That's such a life skill.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I we've seen a good response from our kids from when we tell them like, hey, like one, it's okay to fail too. Right. Like I think so many of us are afraid to fail because we're, and especially at high school age kids, right. Cause they're embarrassed or they, they think that they look dumb because something negative happened. Right. It's like, once you can get past that mental hurdle of that, that really doesn't matter. Um, Again, like I said, I think we've seen some good responses from our kids on that. Um, and it all really starts with us being up front and having the conversation where it's like, I really do not care if something doesn't go right, just don't do it two times in a row. So
2: No, I agree. That and turn age fifty and then you just you don't care anymore after that.
1: Yeah, right. It doesn't matter what other people think. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> so do you uh you're looking at the year, you got you got quite a bit of season left here. Um what are some things that are standing out so far and what are some things that you hope to improve.
1: Yeah, you know we have a we have a great group of kids that just embody like what the the term being a team is all about. Um, you know, they they get like what it means to like show up on time and like work hard for each other. Um, that they, they get the importance of you know making sure everyone feels included. Like all those cliche things that you want in a team. Yeah. Um, you know they do right like. Everybody can't play. Right. And that, that's one of the hardest things as a coach, I think, is not having not being able to put everybody into a game, at least at the varsity level. Right. At the high school level, you can't. Everybody can't play. Um, so naturally, obviously, you have guys that don't play and are probably not happy about it. Um, but th- these guys that we have this year at the varsity level, man, are they just great at you know, encouraging kids and not pouting about those things um, and, and just being really, really good teammates. Um like that, that's been one of the most rewarding things. And I, I felt that going into the year, you know, I was talking to my my coaches and it's like, you know, we could go, this sounds crazy, but this is the truth. It's like, we could honestly go the whole year without winning a, a basketball game, but I would still come to practice every day and just enjoy being around these kids because of those attributes, right? Like that, that it's just awesome. Um, we don't have any bad days that, you know, certainly I practice around games just because of the way that they, they come ready to work every day. And they're just really, really good to be around. Um, so that's just been really, really refreshing um in terms of things that we're looking for at improvement you know that's all you know on the basketball floor in terms of it would be nice if we can make some more shots offensively right like (laughs) that's kind of where we're at like defensively I think we're doing all right we're doing some nice things you know always can get better there but offensively it's like can we make some shots right like um this goes back to the conversation about you know trying to preach confidence into our kids um you know we we shoot a ton um but it's just like Hey, again, if you feel like you're open, just take the shot and make it, right? Like that's it, right? And if you miss it, it's fine. Like we'll we'll get it on the second time around. Um, but it's like that—that's really where I'm at right now. It's just like we got—I got to try and find opportunities to put these kids in good spots to make shots that they or take shots that they can make. Um, and hopefully that at some point here we can flip a switch and start you know being a little bit more consistent with that. Uh, but it won't be because our kids, uh, you know, they're going to continue to work at it, right? Like I said, they they work extremely hard. Um, the ball is just not bouncing in the right direction for them, but. Again, it's, what, December 17th, I think it is today. So we've we oh. got plenty of time to figure that out. And hopefully uh, before the end of the year, we can uh, be clicking on all cylinders. So
2: Yeah, it's, it's a long season. For
1: sure.
0: I want to kind of step into your career after after college. And so how did law enforcement become? You, you said you wanted to. It was always something in the back of your mind. So how did you, uh, how did you get to Appleton as a police officer?
1: Yeah, so uh, actually it goes back to that AAU connection that I had. Um, the one of the kids I played with who ended up going on to Creighton, his uncle was actually the chief of police in Appleton, uh, Todd Thomas. So when I had gotten out of school, I knew I didn't want to go work for like a, a smaller department. And when I, mean, when I say smaller, I mean anything smaller than Appleton. I thought that was going kind to of probably be the smallest I wanted to go. Um, so that really only left me wanting to work for uh, obviously Appleton, uh, the city of Green Bay, Kenosha Police Department was another option. Or going down to Milwaukee. And if you talk to my mom, she completely knocked out the, the Milwaukee PD options. She's like, no, you're not doing that. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to. No, you're not doing that. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not going down to Milwaukee uh, for all the obvious reasons. Um, but how that all happened, uh, my grandfather um, uh, was a uh, police officer for the city of Kenosha. So, you know, I never actually had gotten to meet him because he had passed away before I was born. But um, I heard a lot. was told a ton of stories to my grandma uh, before she passed, who I was really close with. Um, you know, I just remember having a lot of really good conversations with her and she knew from a very young age, like we're talking, I was probably eight or nine years old, and it's like that's kind of what I knew what I wanted to be. And me having those conversations with her and me wanting to do that, because again, that's what my grandpa, her husband had done. Um, it was very, very successful at. Um, it just really carried my I just carried that all the way through like I said, high school and college, and then in twenty seventeen, um I started working at Appleton. Um it's been great. You know, APD is a great place to work with a lot of really good people and a great community um that it's all worked out really well for me
2: yeah i know some uh you know sometimes the the police officers and the firefighting uh they'll play basketball games hockey games something like that Uh, is that something you guys do it locally
1: well so they used to do hockey games but i guess what i've been told i couldn't even tell you last year they did it it would probably been like early like 2010 ish is what my or what I feel it was, probably was the last year. <laughs> I guess it got a little too physical with the fire and police departments when they were playing each other. They kind of had to put a kibosh to that. The city's like, we can't have our firefighters and police officers <laughs> getting hurt in a hockey game. So that was kind of the end of that. Um, the last thing that we've done against any fire department, we did a, uh, a game last year at the Wisconsin Herd Arena um, in Oshkosh against Nina Menasha Fire um, versus Appleton PD. Um, and it was for, I think $500, I think it was the total amount that got donated back to our canine department if you want, if we won. So we were lucky enough to win that nobody got hurt, which was good. Um, but in terms of like the, the inner city Appleton PD Appleton fire type of scrimmages or games doesn't really happen all that often. Just again, because I think (laughs) things might get a little bit too rough and we can't have that.
2: I tell you guys and girls, um, can you walk us through a, a little bit? So you're you're the Appleton East Resource Officer currently, and I mean, what what is that like day to day working with kids these days? I can't imagine that's an easy job, but probably a really rewarding job at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's good. Um, dealing with kids, right? Dealing with adults is hard, right? Like that that that's difficult. But dealing with kids, I think, is even more so. Um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of mental health, especially at that the age, the high school age. Um, you're, you're dealing with kids that don't really know like what they want to do, right? Or don't really have much, I don't want to say much going for them, right? But you'll, you'll have kids that don't have much support at home. um, And they try and go into a school setting and they almost just get, um, almost get lost at times. And that that's the root cause of maybe why they act out or why the the way they do something that, you know, puts them in my office to have a conversation about. Um, But it's, it's those conversations that when you actually get through to kids like that and you see progress and then you see like those kids now starting to be successful, uh that that that's the rewarding part of all of this um and the part that i really enjoy it's you know it's not the giving obviously it's not giving kids tickets or doing anything like that it's like when you can actually get through to a kid and you see some positive positive change because of something that you've directly done with him uh that that's the most rewarding and then on top of all that you know once they leave the school uh whether it's you know for summer vacation or they leave the school because they've graduated um, that they're starting to be successful in the community. Like that's the, that's the end goal, right? It's like, we're trying to make people successful in the community when they're adults. Um, right. That, that's the most rewarding part of it all. So um, yes, does it have its challenges? Absolutely. Um, but it, it's a, it's a fun gig and it's a, a certainly rewarding one.
2: I'll bet when, when a kid comes into your office, maybe even for the first time, are you taking that approach, really trying to look for the good as opposed to the bad right off the bat?
1: For sure. Right. Like I, I think, you know, the sad part about about some of the stuff that I do is some of the kids I deal with, like I've dealt directly with their parents on the road and I can understand, you know, when I say the road, I mean working control. Mm. Um, I understand kind of why they are the way that they are, right? And it's no fault of their own, right? Like they were put in a crappy situation. Like I would be no different probably if I was put in the same situation that they were in or are put in. Um, so usually the first time talking to a kid, especially in a situation like that, you know, the way that I approach that it's just like, I got to try and find a way to get this kid to trust me. Right. Cause like naturally right, wrong or indifferent uh, you know, they were raised to maybe not trust the police, right. Or not trust somebody in my position. Um, so now it's, it's on me to try and write this wrong um, to show this kid, like, Hey, I actually do care about you. Right. Like I really do care about what's going on with you. Um, and I'm not here uh, to, you know, to lock you up or to give you this punitive, you know, citation to have to go and pay or whatever it is. Right. Like, Let's try and find a solution to the problem uh, so you can be successful. Right. And um, it's follow through, too. Right. And again, like this isn't, this goes into the coaching part of it. It's like I can tell you all these things and I can say, hey, you should do all these things. But after you leave my office, if I don't check back in with you or if I don't, you know, make a note to comment on like when you're doing things well, like, well, then they, they kids see right through you. Right. So it's like, um, You know, just trying to, you know, be positive with these kids and, you know, try and show them that I'm here to try and support them. Um, but also hold you accountable when you mess up. Right. But again, just explain like what the process is and why we're doing what we're doing. And, um, just really trying and show these kids that you're, that you're there for. That's
2: an interesting point you bring up is that follow through that. that that's the hard part and, and the part that we don't always want to do, but man, that's such a huge part about it. If, if somebody sees that somebody genuinely cares well after the fact, I mean, that that's, that's almost as important. That that's a huge part of it.
1: Yeah. You know, I, it's as easy as just saying hi to a kid in the hallway, right. That, you know, even if it was a bad interaction you had with them the day prior um, you know, not holding on to those grudges or whatever it is. Right. Like, you know, they, these are kids, right? So, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm 29 years old or 28 years old. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold on to things, you know, that a four, 15 through 18 year old kid said to me. Um, you know, again, like I'm, I'm trying, I'm here for a reason to really try and affect these kids in a positive way. Um, you know, and if, if at the end of the day, they don't, they don't want that assistance from me or they don't want the help, like, that's fine, but I'm certainly not going to stop trying, um, until they're out of the building, you know? So, um, yeah, it's rewarding. I have a ton of fun with it. Um, it's a really, it's a really, really good thing going right now for me. So
2: now, are you out on patrol too as well? So you have your duties at East. How often are you out on the street, uh, just regular patrol?
1: So not not very often right now. Um, like back in the summertime, I go into like some investigative work. Um, really, I, I don't cover patrol much anymore. Um, yeah, I, I get pushed more in the investigative world uh, when I'm not at East. So. Is that
2: pretty fascinating? That's got to be kind of a cool job.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's just a different change of pace, right? So it's like, whether it's like you're, you're doing stuff, you know, working on cases or you're doing like some warrant apprehension stuff, um, you know, looking for fugitives, whatever it is. Um, it, it's fun work. Um, you know, and on top of all my stuff going on at East, I'm also a member or an active member on our city SWAT team. So that takes up a lot of my time, uh, doing stuff like that and training and, uh, you know, operations, whatever it is. So, um, I'm certainly busy. I certainly don't have as much time as, as I wish I would at times. But like I said, it's the bigger picture for me. I'm, I'm doing this all because I really like giving back and I've been giving a lot. So I enjoy what I do.
2: Now, it sounds like a I man, what a life you live. Uh, oh
0: I personally want to say we're super lucky to have you at Appleton East. Um, you do a fantastic job with kids, and uh, it, it definitely shows how much you care. And I know the basketball players that come into my room during resource, uh, they, they talk a lot about you and how, how awesome you are as well. So um, thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us your story. I uh, really appreciate your time.
2: Oh, thank you, Turner. It was a pleasure to meet you for sure.
1: I appreciate you guys having me on here, and uh, it's been fun. Anything I can do in the future, just let me know. Awesome. Well, you guys take care. Have a good rest of your night.
2: Well, folks, it's that time again, special time during the podcast where we have our Redsmith Sports Award Banquet Throwback. It's our chance to look back on the 57-year history of of the Redsmith Banquet and all the Hall of Famers and broadcasters and sports personalities and characters that... Have graced our presence in Appleton, Wisconsin, typically in the third Tuesday, the third January, third Tuesday in January They'd come to the Paper Valley Hotel or the country air. And they'd tell stories. And they would receive awards and leave us laughing and just having a good old time. And in this particular throwback 2019 not that long ago although it seems like a long time ago we didn't even know what COVID was in 2019 yet and little did we know our, our years our lives would change but in 2019 we went to the paper valley hotel on a wednesday in january and Chichi rodriguez was there and any golf fan he you you certainly know who chi chi rodriguez is and even if you're not a golf fan, I'm pretty sure you know who Chichi Rodriguez is. One really one of the one of the very first, I would say, just personalities and characters on the PGA tour. And he still carries that with him to this day. I mean, we we laughed hard that night. He he I think he said hi to everybody that was in attendance. I'm pretty sure that happened. So let's why don't we sit back? Let's go grab our putter. Let's do a couple of Olays around the living room and. Let's listen to Chichi Rodriguez and enjoy a Red Smith Banquet Throwback.
1: Red Smith Sports Awards Banquet Throwback
3: the Red Smith Award of course goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin and also
2: epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, we are so proud to have
0: with us the Shield Sports Nice Guy Award winner, World Golf
3: Hall of Famer. Ladies and gentlemen, Juan Antonio Rodriguez. We know him as Chichi Rodriguez. I can't hear very well. I was in the United States Army. 1954, United States Army. And, uh, and I was a cannoneer with the 105 Hauser, and it, in those days they didn't give you earplugs, so I'm paying that penalty, now I can't hear. And sometimes at home, I'm, when I'm with my wife, I'm happy that I can't hear. <laughs> I'm the only man in the world that, the wife. when I got married, my wife made me a millionaire. I was a multi-millionaire before I married her. <laughs> you know, I just, I just left home, and you know what she told me? She says, you can do anything you want to do as long as you don't enjoy it. <laughs> you know the difference between a wife and a girlfriend? 50 pounds. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Skyline Comedy Club. (laughs) It's good to laugh, good to laugh, you know. You laugh, Uh, my family, my grandfather died at 115. And my grandmother died at 114. And my father's side, both both of them over... uh, over a hundred on my mother's side. So I'm going to live, I'm gonna get stem cells now, and they they told me they can drop my age by 50 years, so I'm gonna live to be 150. (laughs) And don't ask me if I wanna live to be be 150 until I'm 149. (laughs) Because people say now, you know, when they're young, I don't wanna live to be 100. Wait till you're ninety-nine. <laughs> this, this guy was asking me here if I play golf, you know, if I still play golf, and I, you know, I'm getting so old I don't even buy green bananas. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I hit, I hit the driver, I, I hit the driver, and I can hear the ball, the ball land. That's when you know you had it. <laughs> okay, Dave. Oh, yeah, oh no, now he turns to me. <laughs> when did you become Chi-Chi? How'd that happen? When did they say, Juan? Well, I don't know, Chi-Chi. Chi-Chi. Well, I used to be a baseball player. Yep. I was a pitcher. That was your first passion, wasn't it? Yeah, I was I was a pitcher, and I, I went up to double-A. I pitched uh, the same team with Juan Pizarro, and in class A ball, believe it or not, our pinch winner was Roberto Clemente. Yes. See, when I went in the army, I bet you I could throw a baseball at 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. When I pitched the park, used to get full of people because I weighed 117 pounds and I could really bring it. Yep. And if you hit a home run of me, you better look down and, and, and do the bases like that. Don't come to home plate and celebrate because the next time you're going to get a, hit. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so. So I go in the Army, and they say, uh, who plays golf? I raise my hand. Who plays baseball? I raise my hand. So they say, "Okay, Mr. Rodriguez, Private Rodriguez. I never made it through private, although I'm a two-star general in the United States Air Force now, honorary. General McPeak gave gave me my second star. General John Conaway gave me my first star. And I went to the baseball park which was on the way to the golf course. And I watched a guy named Daryl Spencer. Mm-hmm. Daryl Spencer hitting balls, and uh, he, he was the first guy to play second base at Candlestick Park when the Giants moved from New York to uh, San Francisco. I know more about baseball than golf, to tell you the truth. <laughs> And you can ask me some question trivia in baseball. No, you keep going, that's quite all right. I like that manager for Milwaukee, man. Is he good? Is he's, a, he's a genius. It takes one to recognize another. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> <laughs> so I see this guy hitting balls and I you know, nobody hit me in Puerto Rico very well because I, I was I don't brag, you know, I just I just think big, <laughs> and uh, then I saw him hitting balls, I said, you know, if he hits a line drive at me, he'll crystallize me, <laughs> he'll kill me. So I kept walking to the golf course. <laughs> greatest move I've ever made. <laughs> one of the greatest moves I've ever made in my life was to go in the United States Army. i tell you one thing, they, they give you the next step, that new level that where they make, take you from a teenager to being a man. And I'm a man, my dad gave me my first cigarette when I was eight years old. <laughs> gave me a shot of rum, too. <laughs> rum he, makes everything better. Too, he, he, he wanted a man, he got himself a man. I'm small, but I'm big in heart. As we kind of finish up, I know
1: you met with some kids today, and kids are extraordinarily important to you because you have a school in Florida that is amazing. Yeah. Tell us about the school.
3: Well, that started in a, in a, in a kid's uh, detention center. Mm-hmm. I get this guy named Bill Hayes, tall guy, about six foot four. He comes to me. I'm playing at the golf tournament. I was the defending champion. It's a mixed state championship with a woman. And uh, he says, I heard you go with the kids. I say, I'm the best with the kids. He says, well, can you give me your autograph? I say, yeah. He said, this is one of my kids, kid named Danny, real small kid. He says, I run a kid's detention center here. I bet you don't come and talk to him. I say, I do better than that. I'll do a, a golf clinic for him, and if you have a baseball park, I'll do the golf clinic there. And then I'll stay with him and have dinner with him. And I'll buy him some ice cream. So he said, OK. So I told him, I said, I want the biggest thief of all the kids to hold my jewelry. Guess who the kid was? That one. <laughs> that one,
1: yeah. So it started with one kid.
3: So I get there. I got my uh, Patek Philippe. I had my uh, cat, cat's eye ring, I mean. Right. I was forced $130,000. They, they, when they held me up in Puerto Rico, they took everything. Yeah. That's why I don't want to go back. And uh, I said, Danny, come here. I gave him my money clip. I don't know if I had stepped on it. They didn't have much money. But I gave him all my jewelry, and all the kids started laughing. You know, they knew. Was oh. So he started looking at me. He said, why me? I said, because... You didn't do anything that I didn't used to do. Only I didn't get caught. You got caught. <laughs> when I was a kid, I could steal your radio and leave you the music. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so. <laughs> so so I get to the clinic. Mr. Hayes is driving me home to the to the hotel and he says, you know, he says, I gotta find a way to keep these kids from coming here. Mm-hmm. So I said, What do you got in mind? He says, I want to do a foundation with your name. I told him, one, one condition, nobody makes money. So he said, okay. He says, I got this old car. So I say, I got a thousand dollars. I sent him a thousand dollar check. I said, here. So I figure he's gonna save a couple of kids. And that would have been okay with me. So I'm playing golf with Lawrence Rockefeller. Leonard Firestone and Raymond Firestone wow. in Puerto Rico yeah. at the hotel that Lawrence Rockefeller built. Okay, so we play nine holes and Lawrence says, "Let's go have lunch." So we're sitting lunch. He said, Chi, what have you been doing lately?" I said, "This happened to me." He said, "It did." I said, "Yeah." I. Can't. <laughs> Sorry. So he says, Raymond, 25,000. Leonard, 25. Me, 25. Get that thing going. We took about 20 more kids out out of the jail and put them in the in the school. Anyway, my school, my kids respect the flag. They pledge allegiance to the flag every day. We have... We have an 87% attendance and 87% of my kids graduate from college, and we do 2,750 kids a year. Wow. Yeah. 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 No federal money. We don't want no federal money. We raise money like you do here. All of you should be very, very proud of what you do here tonight. The kids are the future. They need your help. So the first year we made $5,000 profit. We took more kids out. So I asked Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas, is a great man. You know, you only see the great golfer, but he's a great man. He's a man you can trust. And we did a, we did a, a tournament called Chi-Chi and the Bear. Mm-hmm, remember that. And, and, say, I, and he, Jack said, well, what are your goals? I said, we want to make a million dollars in one day. Jack said, well, we can do it. So another Irishman, Tom Daly, we had made uh, $873,000, and I showed up to this bar tree and I said, uh, Tom, you're going to make a holy one here. He says, I never made one. If I make one, how much are you short? I said, we're 137000 or 127000 whatever whatever it was, short. And he says, if I make the holy one, I'll cover it, for the million. Yeah. And he hit the ball, I say, it's in the hole. Yeah. Bam, right in the hole. Yeah. So, so so, we made a million dollars, and uh, we spent 10000 doing a million. And, uh, and, and then the foundation got started, and, uh, and it's still going. My kids are number one in mathematics mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and science and, and English in the, in the whole state of Florida. And we, Chichi, I think we need to wrap, but uh, I think we could go for another half an hour, but I think we have other guests we need to
1: bring up. Chichi, it's I, been a delight.
3: I don't think they want me to go. <laughs> you cut Mike short. Cut, is, cut Mike a little short. This is... <laughs> Uh, Mark Murphy, your time just got cut. Now. No, that's
1: fine. That's but tell you what, we promised a photo op. If you're ready, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, again, our Shield Sports Nice Guy Award winner, you see why. Ladies and gentlemen, Chichi Rodriguez.
3: Remember this philosophy: if you want it all, you'll never have enough. It's better to live like a millionaire and die poor than to live poor and die a millionaire. And if you don't share, you'll always be poor. And when you die, what you take with you is what you leave behind. Give the kids the, the vehicle to be, to be taxpayers instead of tax burdens, to be our executives instead of our felons. That's my message. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you. you. fantastic, Gigi, fantastic, God bless you, I'm right off over this way, yeah, take a picture too.
0: all right newscast listeners here comes that segment uh everybody's favorite uh we want to know what you want to forget and what you've never forgotten and uh joel i'm gonna let you take the uh first what what do you just i don't want to think about this anymore what do you got
2: well tosh this is an easy one you know i think i don't know if people know you and i typically typically record this on a sunday night that's just become our our newscast day and night and uh I'm forgetting the Packers, Tash. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, put a fork in them, right? I, I don't know. It's, it's not surprising. It happens. It, it. People forget. I mean, Favre's, you know, Favre wasn't the greatest in his second year. Rodgers wasn't the greatest, you know, early on. Um, love is showing signs. Whatever, you know. Say whatever you want about the defensive yeah. coordinator. I mean swiss cheese i don't that doesn't have more holes in that packer defense that was unbelievable <laughs> but yeah forgetting tash we're, we're forgetting the pack and uh in some sense i, I want to give a little advice it's coming from well, getting up there now in years i can i can reflect a little bit enjoy this folks i know that it sucks that the packers aren't playing anymore but Look at these next few weekends is total freedom for you. You can do whatever you want to do. You can watch football. <laughs> if you want, you can Christmas shop. You can enjoy family time, kids time. You can do whatever you want to do and not have to stress out over the Packers. Tosh, you're free. <laughs> Think there about it, right? Think about there it. There you go. All right, Tosh, how about you what's, what's forgotten in your life?
0: Well, you know, I, I'm a science teacher. I have a lot of credits in weather and I knew coming in, list, looking at all the forecasts and stuff with uh, El Nino. And uh, if you remember back to the uh, Chris Farley days when he played El Nino on Saturday Night Live, it was hilarious. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, go check that out. But El Nino typically is a warmer than normal weather for us during the winter. And um, tends to have like a little below our average uh, precipitation. But that precipitation can be in the form of rain. Or it could be snow. And right now, I think we're feeling some of the effects of what that typical El Nino is. And the reason I want to forget it is my rink is filled with water and it's become a duck pond. I need, I need ice. I need cold. And we're not, we're not going to get any cold for the next week at least. So, yeah, I want to forget El Nino right now.
2: You know, Tash, I feel for you. I actually, I, I think about you a lot. So as a letter carrier, kind of like the weather. I, you know, it's, it's, it's the wind that I could do. We've had some nasty wind days that have just yeah. cut right through you, but I have thought about, I've thought about you and I've thought about Sean Becker. I mean, I was you, gonna you say, guys, Sean's
0: not enjoying this either.
2: <laughs> I mean, how, what can you do? I, mean, but this is unreal. Right. Cause this, we're, we're going to have, I mean, it appears like we're not going to have any snow for Christmas. So right. I, you know, we're going to have a nice Brown Christmas. Some, some say that's okay. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I hope it gets cold. I don't know <laughs> what to do. I don't know what to tell you.
0: No. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll get some out of this. I'm sure we'll get something out of this. But I,
2: I wanted to ask you something ice related. I think I happened to catch this on the morning news. and I didn't catch what it was made out of. But in two rivers, they have an ice rink that's not made out of ice. They leave these big blocks down, but you can skate on it. And it's something like ice. Do you, do you know what that is? Or that's, I did not cool. see that.
0: Is is it a synthetic?
2: It's something like that, yeah. I I don't know what it was called or made out of, but it was big blocks. There's a couple
0: companies out there that make uh, these, like, it's almost like if you remember, maybe your kids had, like, the foam pads that you put on your floor that you kind of link together. Yeah. And it's like a poly ice. And you can skate on it, um, which is kind of cool, so you don't have to worry about the temperature and things like that. Uh, So that could be what it is. I'll have to look into that and see what it is. Um, but there's a couple uh, companies out there that make uh, synthetic ice, and it's like it's almost like a plastic that you can skate on, and um,
2: yeah, it's kind of cool. I think that's what it was, Tosh. But if if anybody wants to check it out, I happen to see, and I'm sure it's up. Obviously, it's still up for the holidays in Two Rivers, right in their down downtown yeah. square there. So, Excellent. yeah, check that out. It looked kind of cool.
0: All right, Joel. So what are you never forgetting?
2: Well, Tash, I'm, I'm back in some senses. I was telling you this before we hit record. Last week, I was telling everybody that I'd like to forget my computer, and, and I still do want to forget my computer, but <laughs> weirdly, and I just can't figure it out. Maybe, again, maybe it's just me, but I replugged my USB port or drive or little hookup thing into the other USB port on the other side of the computer, and lo and behold, when I was taping the the news a minute some time ago I didn't have any of that scrambled alien noise so I don't know what the hell's going on but uh, I guess I'm never forgetting that I do need there a computer or I don't need a computer I don't know something with For my computer own. that I'm never gonna forget
0: your own geek squad there you go That's, nice uh, job
2: exactly geek something <laughs> funny indeed Tash how about you
0: I just you know what it's really kind of cool every year. And I think you see more and more people um, just kind of decorating for the holidays. And it always looks nice, even though there's no snow or anything, but people do a good job. They take some pride in what they're doing. So, yeah, definitely never, never forgetting this time of year and thinking about the lights and uh, and what what people put in and the time they put in to uh, just kind of make their houses look festive for the holidays.
2: Ah, I love that, Tosh. And. All right, can I tell another letter carrier story? I'm sorry this is turning <laughs> sure. into post office story time, but obviously we deliver mail. This is our busy time of year, so we're working late. Uh, the other night I worked almost till nine o'clock delivering mail, but the cool thing about that is it obviously gets dark at four o'clock, so I see everybody's Christmas lights and that, I'm never forgetting that either, Tash. That's really cool. There are some really, really, really cool displays. Um, yeah. It's not a peeping time. But it's so cool <laughs> when you can look into people's houses and just see that, the warmth of the Christmas tree and the fireplace stock. <laughs> I mean, not to get sappy, but you literally can see the stockings hung with care by yep, the by absolutely. the chimney with care. So, so I love that.
0: If you're in Appleton, it's not a peeping time. It's your mailman. That's no, um, right. So
2: <laughs> he has a headlight. You don't get scared. It might be eight o'clock at night. We do deliver <laughs> late, but uh just, just know that I'm enjoying and, and nice job, everybody. Your, your places look warm and wonderful and festive.
0: Thank you for listening to another great episode of the NoosaCast. We'd really appreciate it if you hit up our social pages, subscribe, like, follow, and don't be afraid to engage. Head over to our YouTube channel to get exclusive content, like the full interviews and speeches from the past Red Smith banquets.
2: Thanks for listening to the NoosaCast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so and tell a friend. A huge thank you to Digstown for all the music in today's episode. Catch a gig or find them on Spotify. Help us grow by subscribing wherever you get your pods or sharing the news to cast. Follow us on Facebook, X, TikTok, or Instagram. One of the best ways to help us grow is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and bring greater awareness for youth sports organizations in Northeast Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays Grant, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes.